invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 John. This summer we've been walking through the book of 1 John, and today we will conclude this series in 1 John chapter 5. And we're going to look primarily at the first five or so verses there of 1 John chapter 5. Um, just a quick word. Uh, you may remember that I was at the beach last week. <clears throat> it was not that I was just, you know, at the beach the whole time and my feet kicked up. I was with the youth at their beach retreat, and it was a really, really great experience. I love being with the kids. I love that they put up with my presence as an old man, let me hang out with them. But we looked at the book of Hebrews and walked and talked about God's faithfulness in our life and what it means for us to be faithful to Him. And I just want to make sure you all know all the good and hard work that Joel Burks has done this summer. Um, Joel has been really awesome to step in and serve in an interim role this summer. And as I was there, I told Joel, I said, man, I could get used to being the youth minister if I could just show up and everything was planned. And all I had to do was teach and go hang out at the beach and eat bad food. And like, So Joel has put a lot of effort and time in this summer. And I've, I was just worn out thinking about what my life would be like if he hadn't done all that. So Joel, thank you for, for all you've done. Mark, well done. Preaching in my absence last week. Appreciate all that you did and heard so many great things. And so thank you for ministering while I was away. I invite you to listen to 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commandments. This is love for God, to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's a guy named Russell Moore who's kind of this Christian leader that I've kind of followed from afar for a long time. And so I read a lot of things he writes or maybe listen to his podcast. And one of the things that I also do at the end of most years is I look at all the things on the Internet and try to figure out what the best books were that everybody read in the past year. Now, I feel like I used to read a lot more books. <laughs> My life wasn't quite as busy. But I love to read, and I want to know what other people are reading and finding of value and one year, at the end of his kind of post about books that he had read, he mentioned a guy named Seth Godin. Now, Seth Godin is not a Christian. He doesn't write from a faith perspective, but he writes about business and marketing and productivity, things that I find to be interesting, and there's some parallels to what I'm called to do. And one of the phrases that Seth Godin uses a lot that kind of sums up how he understands marketing is this, that marketing is basically... The idea that people like us do things like this. People like us do things like this. Well, think about that for a minute. That, that marketing and the things that you pursue in life, the things that you acquire, the places you go eat, the way that you dress, a lot of times these things are a part of this bigger cultural identity that you feel. And you see this. So like if you go out to a more rural area, People sometimes dress differently than they do in an urban area, or they eat in restaurants that are different than the places maybe you like to eat. And some of this flows from this idea of people like us 
do things like this. I've seen it also this week in football practice. Now, Webb's going to the seventh grade this year. He's playing tackle football for the very first time. So I, along with other overzealous dads, always gather at the sideline toward the end of practice just to see what's going on out there. Perhaps you've been in that group before. And as I'm watching everybody run back and forth, it occurred to me that, that part of what the coach is doing is instilling in them that people like us do things like this. For example, when they're running, it says, hey, if we run 20 yards, we're really running 23 yards. We're not going to stop short of the line. If we run 50 yards, no, it's really 53 yards. There's this, this idea that when you put on the jersey and when you're a part of the team, these are just values and norms that we live into. People like us do things like this. And I think it relates even to our understanding of our Christian identity. Think for a minute, if someone walked up to you and said, who are you? All the different ways that you could answer that question. You could talk about where you're from. You could talk about what your job is. You could talk about how many children you have. All these different ways that you might identify yourself. And I really believe that how you answer that question of who you are very often dictates what you do. People like me do things like this. As I'm reading through 1 John this summer and preparing for these sermons, it occurs to me that you and I, how we understand our identity most deeply is going to really impact how we live our lives, both as individuals and as a community of faith here at the church. And I would submit to you that I think, John, if you were able to talk to John, you said, John, how should we as Christians think about our identity most deeply? I think what John would say is that the way that you should think about your identity, if you are a follower of Jesus, is that you are now a child of God. That most fundamental part of who you are, regardless of where you live, regardless of what you do for a living, regardless of your family status, that ultimately the thing that's most important about your identity, if you're a follower of Christ, is that now you are a child of God. And the reason that's so important is that when we answer the question, who are we, and we say, now I'm a child of God, it really speaks volumes to what you think Christianity is all about. Because I'm convinced that some of us think about Christianity primarily in terms of, I'm guilty and I've done things wrong or I haven't done what I'm supposed to do. And that's 100% of us in the room, even preachers. Sidebar. I taught senior high Sunday school this morning and admitted something I did in college. Just like, hey, I'm in the fight with you folks, right? I know what it's like to be in that place. Like all of us have fallen short of God's glory in some way. And through our faith in Jesus Christ, we're not just declared not guilty, but now we're brought into God's family. There's a guy named J.I. Packer that says, if you want to understand how well someone grasps Christianity, try to understand what they say about God and who God is. And really, those of us who understand Christianity most fully know that God now is our Heavenly Father. He's not just a judge that says you're not guilty through faith in Christ, but He adopts us into His family. 
Think about the difference in that for a moment. I told the first service that I've said this to them before, but I think it's a powerful illustration to imagine yourself in a courtroom. I hope you're never there. And you're before a judge, and the judge says, not guilty. And you say, whoo, because I was dead to rights. You ever been, you ever like knew that you deserved something? You stand there before the judge, and he's like, hey, I got good news, not guilty. Now, would it then follow that you're going to run up to the bench and be like, thank you. Where are we meeting for Thanksgiving dinner this week? Like he's going to look at you like you're, maybe he's going to go back and commit you, right? He's going to be like, you are crazy. Me saying you're not guilty does not then mean that you and I have a relationship. And the thing that God does for us through faith in Jesus Christ is that not only does he declare us not guilty, but he invites us and adopts us into his family as his children. And so John, I think if he were here, he would say, the thing that's most important about you now that you've placed your faith in Christ is that you've been adopted into God's family and you are his child. And the really wonderful thing about knowing God as your father and not just as a judge who declares you not guilty is the idea that God's love and favor for you is always the same throughout the course of your life. No matter how bad you mess up from that point on. Did any of you ever disappoint your parents? It's kind of like that question of have you ever sinned? Yeah. All of us at some point have done something that wasn't quite what we, in our most proud moment. But as a parent looking at my children, I don't care what they ever do. My love for them is never going to change. In their best moments and their worst moments, and the same is true for you and for me in Jesus. That God's love for us is constant. We're always his child, and that never changes. And so John says in his letter that you and I, that we've been born of God, and now you and I are children of God. And that truth ought to just blow you away. The truth that the God of the universe who created all things and who sent his son into the world to deliver you and save you from your sins, that ought to be a breathtaking truth for you. Such that you should just walk around and be like, there's no way. Like as if you won Publishers Clearinghouse. Do they still do that? Anyway, like you get the check in the mail, you're a millionaire. Like it ought to blow you away to think of the fact that God loves you so much that he would now adopt you into his family. And in 1 John chapter 5, John starts talking about how we then live into this identity that we've been given as children of God. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. The first response that we ought to have for this truth that God loves us so much that he adopts us into his family is that you and I ought to then feel love for him in response. That Christianity is not just this be better, try harder, Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, get your act together, and act the right way. 
But it starts with you and I having our hearts melted to love God in response to the love that he's shown us. And if you try to do Christianity any other way, if you try to do Christianity as if you're going to earn something from God or you're going to be good enough to measure up to his standards, then Christianity is always going to be really hard for you and it's not going to be incredibly joyful. And really, you're not ultimately going to love God. Because you're going to feel like, I'm just never quite enough to measure up to God's expectations for me. But in 1 John chapter 3, listen to what John says about the love that God's shown us. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. And then in the prologue to John's gospel, in John chapter 1, he just clarifies how it is that you and I got into this position And I think it's really important for us to to listen to what John says in John chapter 1. Verse 12, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So John says that you don't experience this new life, you're not born again, because you were born into the right family, who are also believers, or because you tried hard enough and you earned his favor. But ultimately, our rebirth through faith in Christ is a miracle that God does in our hearts by his Spirit. And it's all grace, and it's all mercy, and it's getting something that you do not deserve. He says that God shows his love for us and that we get to experience this new identity as children of God through faith in Christ. So the first thing that people like us do, people who know that we're sinners, people who know that we're dead to rights, people who know that we have no claim upon God, but who experience his love and his mercy, the first thing that people like us do is that we respond with gratitude in our hearts and love in our hearts for who God is and what he's done for us. And then the second thing that we do is that we obey his commandments. Now, when you hear the word commandments, Is it generally a positive or a negative word for you? Positive? Negative. Like most of us hear the word commandments and we're just like, I don't know, man, sounds like legalism, sounds like I got to do all these things. But John says, if we've been born of God, if we are his children, we love him and we obey his commandments. And did you hear what he said about his commandments? His commandments are not what? Burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. And I'm convinced that that many of us go through life and we think about Christianity in terms that like God's commands for us are burdensome. Now, don't raise your hand on this one, but how many of you, like, if you weren't trying to earn God's favor or love, maybe you would be somewhere else today? Don't raise your hand. Like, if all things were equal and God's going to love you the same, where would you be? Like, well, maybe I would be at the beach, or maybe I'd be at the pool, or maybe I would be, like, making the turn right now and thinking about what's for lunch from the buffet, right? Maybe I would be somewhere else. And when you think about Christianity in those terms, I could see how God's commands would feel burdensome. 
It's like, mm, I would rather do this, but darn it, I'm going to get up and go do the right thing. I'm going to read my Bible this morning. It's kind of like, I'm going to eat that broccoli. <laughs> you know, I don't really want it, but I know it's good for me. And there's a sense of us thinking about all of our Christian life as a burdensome thing. Like, I got to go to Sunday school with those people, or I got to show up to that committee meeting, whatever it is, that, that it can all be this kind of like, I've got to do this. But John says, God's commandments are not burdensome. And it made me think in Matthew chapter 11, listen to what offer Jesus makes to those of us who would come after him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There is this part of Christianity that's it's counterintuitive, that we think our heart's desires are going to be fulfilled and met by just living life according to our own plans and purposes. We're like, thanks God for the suggestion, but really I think I got this. I want to go pursue all of these things to make myself happy. And where do we go for those things? Well, I think in 1 John he talks about the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. There is this idea that I'm going to go out and have what I want and be what I want, and ultimately I'm going to be satisfied and happy. And that phrase pride of life is like, look at all that I have, And look at all that I've done. And the reason that that's not freedom is that there's a part of us that's doing those things so that others might think well of us. Now, I'm not famous. You're like, we know. But I imagine one of the worst parts about being famous is trying to remain famous. You know? Like, I got it all together, I have these things, I am this person. And kind of one of the saddest things is to see like an aging athlete who's no longer like, he doesn't really have it anymore. Do you know? You're like, someone should tell him to stop. But there's this part of our hearts of being in front of people, of being popular, of being famous, that we just kind of like to feed. But it really puts you on this treadmill of always having to be that person, to always have have that applause or that popularity. And you and I may not be famous enough to make the tabloids, but we also have this part of our hearts where we like for other people to think well of us. Unless you're just kind of strange and you don't. But most of us, we want people to think well of us. And so we can get on this treadmill of like, I got to do more, be more, accomplish more. I can't let anybody think that I don't have it all together. And that doesn't that doesn't bring you to life. It just brings you to exhaustion and wearing yourself out. And Jesus comes and he says, Come to me, all you who are heavy laden and worn out. Take my yoke upon me, on you, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And you and I, to live into this life that God's called us to, commit to his commandments and walking in his will and his ways and to commit to loving each other like showing up for other people 
There really has to be this belief in our hearts that God knows how he's designed us to live and this belief that he loves us and that ultimately the desires of our heart will only be met so long as we yield ourselves to his plans and purposes in life. And we know that he loves us most fully because of what he's done for us in Jesus. If you um, are a parent or have ever been a parent, you know that that can be the most frustrating thing about being a parent. You're like, I'm trying to help you experience abundant life, but you just won't listen. And some of us have been the hard-headed child before I have. In a similar way, God is not keeping us from anything, but he's leading us into the life that's ultimately fulfilling and freeing. But we have to decide if we believe that about God. One quick illustration from Beach Retreat, and then I'm going to close. I'm not the only adult who went to Beach Retreat. There were other people who went to Beach Retreat, and one of the, the people that I was most interested in were the people who were there who had no children and who weren't paid to be there. They just went. They were like, yeah, I'll go to Panama City Beach. I'll go to Laguna Christian Beach Resort. It's not as glamorous as it sounds, I promise. I'll go there and, like, I'll cook food for the youth. And part of the reason that I was, like, willing to do this, to go on this beach retreat, is that I saw that these ladies were going to cook food, and I was like, I'm there. If you've, if you've been on many retreats, you know that usually the food's not, like, stellar. But I knew these ladies were going, and it was going to be good. And as I watched them over the course of the days that we were together, and I watched their life, and I watched their witness, it seemed to me to be First John lived out. That they could have been lots of other places. It wasn't for lack of resources. It wasn't for lack of opportunity. It wasn't for, you know, they could have been in a much better beach by themselves. Maybe riding a sailboat. I don't know. But they chose to go and cook food for a bunch of youth and hang out with them on the beach and be there in our worship times and develop relationships. And to me, it looked like a life that wasn't burdensome. It looked like joy. To watch people live into this example of putting their own desires and wishes or whatever to the side, of humbling themselves and going and serving in the name of Christ, and it looked like joy. And so I want more of that for myself. To truly believe that in the moments where God calls me not to just pursue all the things that I want in life or to make my agenda or my purposes top, but to really believe that obedience to Christ is ultimately the path of joy and fulfillment and hope. And I put his purposes above my own and really believe that children of God who love God and obey his commandments, that that's going to be the life that's worth, worth the time that God entrusts to you. So I pray for me that, that I would understand more what it looks like to be a child of God and that I would lean into the idea that people like me do things like this and that God would use me for his purposes in the world. I invite you to pray for me. God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that you love us so much that you not only forgive us, but that you adopt us into your family.
in the staggering truth that, that we are your children. And that you don't just tolerate us, but you love us and that you want relationship with us. And that you want to lead us into the path of life that will ultimately be most fulfilling and satisfying. Lord, help us to believe that your commandments are not burdensome. Help us to believe that yielding our lives to your plans and your purposes will ultimately result in the most joy and satisfaction that we can experience. We pray that you would do all of this, your grace and your mercy, and we offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen.